Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Before I introduce our guests, I want to um, give a little background for what you'll hear. Some of you that are active Latter-day Saints may have picked up a conference talk in April of 2022, this most recent conference, Elder Neil Anderson. The title of his talk is Following Jesus, Being a Peacemaker. And in that talk, he referenced, and I'll quote here, in February, a headline in the Arizona Republic stated, bipartisan bill supported by Latter-day Saints would protect gay and transgender Arizonians. We as Latter-day Saints are pleased to be part of a coalition of faith, business, LGBTQ people, and community leaders have worked together in a spirit of trust and mutual respect. President M. Russell Nelson once thoughtfully asked, cannot boundary lines exist without becoming battle lines? We endeavor to be peaceful followers of Christ, end quote. And then as I was watching the Desert News, um, the local paper here, I think people know that's owned by the LDS Church here in Utah. This is the headline that Tad Walsh, a friend of mine, wrote. Latter-day Saint leaders and LGBTQ advocates deepen their relationship on Washington, D.C. Temple Tour. And that's where I'll introduce my guests. My two guests are LGBTQ um, and uh, members from the Arizona, from the state of Arizona. But they were both in the Celestial Room as part of this invited VIP tour of our church working with LGBTQ people to find common grounds, and often that's in legal issues with housing and unemployment. So my guests who were in the Celestial Room are now joining us via Zoom, so you can hear more of sort of what's gone in Arizona legally and how those principles be, can be scaled to other states and even nationally and even to other issues that tend to divide us, that we can bring the principles that they're applying in real time, in real life, um, to our lives. So I'm really honored to have these two, I call them kind of community heroes, now national heroes for the trailblazing work they're doing. But Angela Huey and Michael Soto, thanks for being on the podcast. Uh, Michael Thank you for having Soto, us. Michael, why don't you go and introduce yourself, how you identify and the name of the organization you're running. Um, Michael, why don't you go first? Okay. My name is Michael Soto. Um, I'm the CEO of Equality Arizona, and Equality Arizona is the statewide organization working for um, the civil rights and um, civic engagement of LGBTQ people in Arizona. Um, I'm also a transgender man. I am uh, identify as queer, and I'm Latino. I was also raised in the church and uh, in the LDS church, and I often credit the church uh, for my leadership style. Um, I like to say I'm the kind of leader that believes that leaders set up chairs. Um, leaders are the last to leave. Leaders are people that show up and do the work. And uh, I really credit the, the LDS church and my parents for giving me the heart for this kind of work, this kind of service. And I believe it's my calling in life to work for uh, bringing people together in this great nation and in our world. Um, to see each other as humans more um, and to work together to accomplish great things together. Um, thank you, Michael. Angela. Uh, well, it, first and foremost, let me just say thank you so much for giving us both this opportunity. And any any time I get to spend with uh, Michael Soto is uh, just a remarkable uh, gift to me. So I'm Angela Huey. I'm the co-founder and president of One Community. Um, we are a member-based coalition of businesses, faith-based organizations, and everyday Arizonans moving diversity, inclusion, equality for all Arizonans forward. Um, we're probably best known for our bipartisan um, business coalition building. We have a pledge known as the Unity Pledge. We've had more than 3,400 businesses take the pledge. It's the largest uh, LGBT. LGBTQ inclusive pledge in the nation. We also have a very large faith-based coalition. We work with 500 faith leaders around the state who are open for worship to everyone. Uh, and uh, it's an absolute delight to just um, be on this remarkable journey um, organizationally and um, I think personally with Michael and his remarkable team at Equality Arizona. Um, my pronouns are she, her, and hers. Uh, I'm uh, fortunate to be married to a remarkable uh, human being uh, who I co-founded One Community with. We literally emptied out our 401k and launched One Community. 
uh, 13 years ago. So uh, it's an absolute delight to be here. And thank you again for the opportunity. Um, thank you. And I think you mentioned you identify as gay. Yes, it's, a, I, it's, it's my umbrella term that I like the best, yes. So obviously you're part of the LGBTQ community and you've been working um, on legal issues and bridge building issues within the state of Arizona. So I think listeners, we're going to talk about um, the work that's been done in Arizona. Um, we may start with Mesa and the work that was done there and the church's support there that may surprise listeners. Um, the church proactively got involved in um, what happened in Mesa and what's happening in Arizona and has in other states. And that's what Elder Anderson referenced in his general conference talk. And so I think it's good for those Vita Latter Saints to be aware of what's happened here and, and ask ourselves, what can we do in our circle of influence, even if it's not legal, um, to use the things that we'll talk about in this podcast to bring us together as the same human family. And listeners, I talk about this a lot. Zion, to me, isn't sameness anymore. It, um, there's a lot of differences between the three of us on this podcast right now. Um, Zion is coming together um, like the city of Enoch to lift the hands of the poor and be unified in common goals as the same human family to leave suffering. And there's a lot of suffering in the world in a lot of different spaces. And um, this space could be a space of tremendous pain and is at times, but it can be a space where people can come together and solve complex issues. And the church is supportive of that. So, um, I'll just kind of, do you want to start with Mesa and give, do you want to talk about sure. the Mesa story? Is that a good place to start? We uh, love talking about Mesa. <laughs> so I, I was fortunate enough to meet Mayor John Giles, uh, who is the mayor of Mesa uh, now eight years ago. Uh, and he had taken office. Uh, and I think we were fortunate enough to have a sit down in his, in his um, office about 10, 10 days into his uh into him being uh, the mayor of Mesa. And on his whiteboard, he had his top priorities. And his number one priority was passing an LGBTQ inclusive ordinance in Mesa. Uh, and so we've had the pleasure of walking alongside Mayor Giles now for the last eight years. Um, but uh, the opportunity to pass an LGBTQ inclusive ordinance came upon us uh, and the vote was March 1st of last year. And so in wonderful collaboration with our organizations, One Community and Equality Arizona, we supported the mayor uh, and his courageous council in their efforts. Uh, and the, the ordinance was passed on May 1st, but three days after the ordinance passed, um, an anti-LGBTQ-based organization uh, started a, a PAC known as United for Mesa and began signature collecting to put the Mesa ordinance uh, on the ballot. And, and if they had been successful, it would be on the ballot this coming November. Uh, so our organizations uh, created our own pack known as uh, Mesa Loves Everyone. Uh, and we worked with uh, folks throughout Mesa and business leaders and community leaders. And uh, Michael, we had a whole group of volunteers that were really verifying signatures. And why don't you kind of pick up the, the baton from there and talk about how that went? Got it, my friend. Um, we had this amazing group of volunteers, um, folks who are citizens or residents of the city of Mesa, um, folks who care deeply about Mesa, um, and people who are members of the LDS church, largely, actually, and people who came together and said, um, you know, through the amazing example of Mayor Giles and his family, um, through Councilwoman Spillsbury, right, through all of these incredible leaders in Mesa, had an opportunity to learn about why this ordinance was so important and would increase the quality of life for every Mesa resident. And we had these wonderful folks that uh, were, you know, part of the signature process um, is that we got the opportunity to look at the signatures um, and to um, to help in that verifying process. And um, that's that was our job, right? As they collected the signatures, it was our job to make sure they were real and legitimate because there are lots of rules in terms of how you collect signatures. And, um, you know, what we found luckily because we did have so many Mesa citizens and residents involved, they knew the folks who were signing these signatures, right? They knew where they lived. They knew all of these things. They're their neighbors, right? And so we were able to find a lot of inconsistencies actually, and we're able to um, present a very strong case um, to the opposition through our amazing legal representation um, and with the help of our volunteers that said, hey, y'all actually didn't follow the rules. 
you didn't get enough signatures according to the rules and we're going to say that openly and gave them the option you know we can either take this all the way and keep going in this process um, or you can concede and we can all move on um, and you can go do other things and and the bill will um, the ordinance will become uh, law and fortunately they conceded uh, that was a wonderful day <laughs> we were all very pleased when that happened um, and the ordinance became the law in the city of mesa and yeah. wow what an incredible day and that was almost a year ago now and so yeah yeah. yeah, almost a year ago. And here's what's amazing, uh, too. Mesa is the most conservative large city in the nation. Um, but also in the midst of the signature gathering, uh, we were introduced to leadership of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And uh, we, uh, our organizations and the church and other um, bishops from uh, many other denominations around Arizona put out a joint statement. But it was a very historic statement. Um, from an LDS perspective, because it was the first time that the church came out in support of not just employment and housing uh, protections for LGBTQ people, but also uh, public accommodations, right? And so um, we met uh, during a very vulnerable time uh, and created this remarkable trusting relationship that after we were able to celebrate the ordinance um, actually taking place and and going into law, as Michael said, in, in June of last year, we were able to then forge uh, what has become, I would say, a really beautiful uh, friendship and fellowship with um, with so many members of the church. It's been a just a remarkable experience for us. It has, and we got to we got to celebrate this um, bill becoming or this ordinance becoming law when it became law. But then we got to celebrate again when we, the church invited us to bring LGBTQ leaders from Arizona and across the country um, to the city of Mesa for the Mesa Temple opening in the fall. Um, that was actually the first time we visited a, a temple together and went on a very special tour. Um, uh, there were two of the. Um, 12 apostles were there, Elder Rasband and Elder Gong, and they actually each led um, the tours that uh, we went on. There were two groups. There were so many people. Um, and it was such a special and beautiful experience. And as you mentioned, we just got back from D.C., where we got to visit the temple there with another group of about 40 LGBTQ people um, from around the country um, touring the D.C. temple. And we were able to meet Elder Bednard, um, which was just delightful, um, and uh, Elder Gerard led our tour, which was a wonderful experience. <laughs> um, he's, uh, he's become a dear friend at this point. And listeners, um, it's worth just pausing and recognizing that um, Latter-day Saints, we, have, we feel those temples are pretty important spaces that are, um, I don't know what words, you know, our holiest houses to our heavenly parents, to our Savior, where those ordinances are performed. Um, and once they're dedicated, you know, you need to have a temple recommend to come in. But it's just worth noting that our leaders wanted you there. Um, and proactively led tours, our senior leaders invited you to the, you know, the celestial room um, and wanted you to be in that room. And I think there's symbolism there for how we should treat um, our LGBTQ friends. You don't need a temple recommend to be in our home or um, go out to lunch with. We Sometimes there's this, our culture sometimes shouldn't reflect the temple recommend, I think, where you, you know, we only associate with people that are following the exact same rules and our culture is like that. But I think what's taught there is that we're all the same human family. We seek each other for the gifts and the contributions and welcome people wherever they are and work together. And the symbolism yeah. of being proactively invited into the temple to me is causes us all to reflect on what does that mean for me? Um, in my circle of influence, if I'm a local LDS leader, a parent, um, what can I do to symbolize welcoming um, for LGBTQ people? And what can I do in my area of influence to build bridges? So that's terrific. Um, I want to read from the Deseret News because um, you know James and Monica Phillips. They were the ones that actually encouraged me to do this podcast. And I think along with the Braddocks, they went with you to DC, and this is quoting from the Desert News. And li listeners will listen. We'll link to this in the podcast. Um, and um, just as James Phillips talking about you, Michael, Michael's great collaborator, and that he brings people across party, people across lines, 
James Phillips said, there's not many forms when you can sit with people from both sides and talk about solutions in the middle that actually affect change, where you can see lasting changes that affect all things that are most precious to us. So it was an opportunity we couldn't pass up, not only as parents, but as passionate advocates in this space. And earlier in the article, it mentions the Phillips are parents of two LGBTQ children in Mesa. Monica said her family is central, so she focused on loving her children and trusting God. And then Monica goes on, this was a dream come true to be in this room with my LGBTQ friends and my church, she said after the tour and lunch. So just how much that meant to um, the, the Phillips and probably the Braddocks there, I don't see they were quoted in this article, but I think they felt the same way. And listeners, just more on Mayor Giles and Council. Would you introduce Councilwoman Julia Spilsbury to us? Um, I'm sure all the council members you could talk about, but Julia yeah, Spilsbury is just somebody that I know and have gotten to know and introduce her to our listeners too. Sure. And, Julie's remarkable. Uh, and uh, she's a freshman council member. So this uh, LGBTQ inclusive ordinance vote was one of the first votes that she took as a newly seated council person, um, but she also received uh, over a thousand emails. Uh, many, uh, many of these emails were from people that share her faith, um, really encouraging her to vote no on, uh, on the LGBTQ inclusive ordinance. So this was a very transformative vote uh, for council member uh, Spilsbury. She, um, she was uh, deeply emotional when she took the vote and said, I have had the opportunity to experience just a little bit of the hate uh, that LGBTQ people have felt um, as we move towards this vote. Um, and it was uh, just a deeply impactful and important vote for her. Um, and listeners that are LDS, you may be aware of the Faith Matters podcast. About a year ago, Mayor John Giles was on that podcast. He's episode 75. And then Julie and Jeremy Spilsbury joined. Um, the Face Matters, I believe that was Tim and Aubrey Chavez that hosted both of those, episode 77. So you could hear more if you want to, um, listeners, just the journey. And you framed that up pretty well, Angela, from what I know. And I've gotten to know Julie and Jeremy and have traded a few emails with Mayor Giles. And they're just terrific. Like all, I want to just highlight LDS people that are doing this. This is an LDS podcast, but it's a broad coalition of people coming together. Um, to talk about two things back to the Mesa also. Um, I understand in, um, employment. I get that. I get housing. Um, but, but you said this went a little further because it went into public spaces. I think that's the vocabulary. Uh, maybe listeners are like me that don't quite know what that means. Will one of you take a time to take a moment to explain that? Sure. Public accommodations, um, it touches so much of our lives in terms of experiencing um, life in public. And so it's the ability to um, go into a restaurant or a store um, and be treated equally like everyone else, be served, um, be welcomed, um, be able to shop, um, be able to sit at the same lunch counter as everyone else, right? Being able to um, go to a hospital um, and in an emergency room, not be discriminated against because of who you are. Um, these are really foundational things to human experience and human life. Um, and, you know, we we learned this in the civil rights movement. I mean, public accommodations is a big struggle there too, right? I mean, that's what the lunch counter sit-ins were all about, right? That's what um, we know that separate but equal isn't uh, good enough in this country. That is, we found that out through many, many years of hard and difficult struggle. Um and so the principle there is very simple in public accommodations that everybody should be treated the same in public life. Um, separate is not equal. And so that's the same thing that we stand for. And Angela has a great saying around this. You want to, you want to say it? Oh, well, uh, we have our open for business to everyone yeah. slogan, which we came up with, uh, you know, several years ago. So there's signs all over Arizona uh, with, with businesses and, and restaurants and, and uh, you know, just anything that has a door on it basically is a public accommodation. And that includes um, public restrooms as well, right? And so we want to make sure that LGBTQ people, as Michael said so beautifully, have 
equal access and just to also the opportunity to live our side our, our lives openly is who we are right uh and so yeah we we love folks that are open for business to everyone we do um talk about um why the church got involved and maybe i should have the church leaders get talk about it but i think you can probably do a good job because at some point um the church leaders proactively entered this space and sort of it was no longer just Mayor Giles and Councilwoman Spilsbury and other local LDS leaders. The church from the senior levels got involved, and I think local church leaders, I think perhaps in Area Authority 70 is the right language, um, got involved, and the church issued a statement, especially at the time of this um, about, uh, this signature gathering. Do you, Why did the church do that? You know, the church can probably speak more to that, but I think from my understanding, I can share the the biggest reason, I think, what I've heard from them, um, from our dear friends in the church. Um, and simply put, that's Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40, right? Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love thy Lord, thy God, with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first great commandment. And the second command, the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Um, it's those two commandments that is at the root of this for the church, for the amazing people that we've worked with in the church. And that shared love for one another is how we have built a beautiful relationship with members of the church, with leaders of the church. And we always come back to that when we're meeting with um, the amazing folks that that we get to work with in the church, um, that love that and that commandment from God to love one another um, to serve one another, right? To find that common humanity and purpose in one another and to work together for the greater good of all of us. And we really saw that right away in their hearts um, and in the kind, open way um, that the church leaders came to us, the, the intentional way that they built relationship with us. Um, you know, two of our, two of our dear friends um, have received new callings. And so they're going to be leaving Arizona and, um, you know, I think we're both really sad because we love them so much. They're they're like family now, and we we will be visiting. Like Angie and I are going to go to Iowa. <laughs> we're I'm going to learn how to make bricks, yep. right? We're going to go to Naboo. We're, <laughs> we're going to Naboo. We're we're in. Go, yeah, we're just <laughs> we're you know these these folks are so amazing, and we're lifelong friends now. And we um, we want you know it's been that I think that kind of genuine that's real love, right? That is truly being in not just the work, but being in this life together with people. And that's been our experience is just that genuine love. And we felt that every time we've been with the church, every temple tour, every time we've been to Salt Lake, um, just, we feel that so strongly. And I hope they feel that from us as well, because we just, we love this relationship and we love the work that we get to do together. We do. And I, and I want to add, um, uh, I think you find out who people really are when you're vulnerable. And I don't think we could have been more vulnerable than we were when the Mesa ordinance was under fire uh, with a, a very strong, a deep pocketed opponent that was determined to uh, overturn this ordinance. And so to meet uh, and, and oddly enough, it was over, um, it's funny to me in the midst of COVID because it was conference calls. So we never even saw one another, but we created a joint statement. We trusted one another in the, in this really, really vulnerable moment when, um, when we were, we were taking in heavy water, I would say. Uh, and it was, uh, it, it was like being in a, in a battle for our, our lives and our collective souls, uh, in the city of Mesa. And so to trust one another. Um, in such a vulnerable moment, I think has forged, uh, as Michael is saying, that not just a beautiful friendship, but this true sense of family um, uh, and purpose, collective purpose for all of us um, that has, has made us all better. Like we're just, it's changed all of us for the better. Uh, and I feel that our collective family and, and chosen family of friends is is larger and we are so welcomed by our friends in the church. And it's just been an absolutely transformative, uh, remarkable, remarkable journey. And we're, we're very blessed to be on it. Um, that's a great segment. I mean, you're a transgender man, uh, Michael. We say unkind things about our trans friends. 
um, in lots of circles and you've been the recipient of many of those painful comments and you're in a same-sex marriage, Angela. <laughs> um, we've, and so I just recognize that these leaders came into your lives and it doesn't seem to feel like they were, they just loved you because you deserve to be loved. It doesn't seem like there was um, a condition on that or we're only going to love you, Michael, if you referred, refer, return to full activity in the church. And I think there's principles there that are embedded in the doctrine of Christ just to love people because they deserve to be loved, this unconditional love, and how helpful and healing that was to both of you to have all these LDS people and other faiths come into your life and support you and just see you as human beings and part of the same human family and honor your personal choices and try to find common ground to, to lift the burdens of others like the people in the city of Enoch. Now, I'm not inferring that Mace is going to get translated like the city of Enoch did, um, but there's a principle there that um, particularly LGBTQ people with the legislations there that's lifted the burdens, it's lifted the hands of poor, which to me represents those that have a harder road and need um, people with more privilege and, and government entities that have the ability to pass laws to step in and do things that individual people can't do themselves that are part of all the margins of society. That to me is part of the doctrine of Christ. So I. I think that what's happened in Mesa is terrific, but um, talk about, um, I've got a note here that, you know, listeners, I, I think word association is with when I say a word and you think of something that comes to my neck. So if I say Oreos, you might think of milk or I don't know. Um, if I say baseball, you may think of your favorite baseball team, but I think if we as a church culture, and this is changing, think of gay people or trans people, we think of we're under attack. Um, we think our religious freedoms are under attack. We sometimes think of a group of people that's unified against us and our cultures. And some of that's internally our own fault, but our culture is sort of, sometimes that's what comes to our mind. And part of the purpose of this podcast is to help see LGBTQ people as our own family members as our own people in our congregation and not this group of people that is attacking us now sure there's some gay people that want the church to fail but there's straight people that want the church to fail so just pinning it on one group isn't fair and um so one of the things i think that is helpful about what happened in mesa is is to not every time we hear the word our religious freedoms is to think oh, that means gay people are trying to take something away from me. I think if we talk about religious freedoms and we as a church need to protect those, we need to identify who is the threat and what is under attack. Otherwise, it's kind of left out there. And most rank-and-file members like me would have just thought, well, that means I got to pull away from gay people because somehow they're impacting my religious freedoms. So uh, that's one of the things I love about Mesa is it's causing us to look inward and say, okay, what's really is under attack there and what isn't? And um, what do LGBTQ groups like the two groups that you represent are actually trying to protect in the LDS church as part of this legislation? And this is just where we know better, we do better. And instead of throwing bombs at the other side, there's sort of fear-based, non-fact-based stuff. We can have fact-based discussions and keep the fear out of it. Politics on both sides has a lot of that. Um, so I don't know. I'll just kind of turn it back to you. To You could talk about any of that that resonates with you. You know, uh, something that resonates with me really deeply is that um, uh, this, this idea of two different communities, right, of people of faith and LGBTQ people. And the truth is, is that there are a lot of LGBTQ people who are also people of faith deep faith, who are practicing actively in their faith, who are um, doing that formally through churches and uh, religious institutions and doing that in their personal lives and have a deep connection um, with God. And so that that is such an important thing to remember. We are members of families of faith. We are people of faith. We're LGBTQ people. Those aren't mutually exclusive things. And we even, and in addition to that, we are also all Americans. We're a part of a great pluralistic society, 
And that is such a strength and such a unique and wonderful thing. And something that makes this country one of the greatest places to have existed in human history is that pluralistic society where we can be different and we can still be Americans and we can still work for the common good and for a common cause. And I think that's what this work at the city level, at the state level, and at the national level exemplifies. We can be different people from different communities and we can come together and we can fight for the greatest of American ideals, personal freedom and individual freedom and religious freedom. Those two things are complementary. Our founding fathers knew it. The greatest minds and scholars of this country have always known it. Um, American citizens know it and we know it. And we're here to work for both of those things. That was great, Michael. Angela. I was going to say, remind me not to follow Michael anymore. It's very difficult. <laughs> but I, we talked about this when we were uh, just in Washington, D.C., that religious liberty and, um, and LGBTQ liberty can, can go hand in hand, right? And that is really the work that we're um, doing collaboratively together. And I know Michael talked uh, a little bit about through the Mesa Ordinance, we wound up uh, bringing, uh, you know, LGBTQ leaders from around the United States to um, to take a private tour of the Mesa Temple. And and we met with a select group of folks uh, last October uh, prior to that tour. And we had put our heads together and come up with a, a what we see as the bridge to, to have um, LGBTQ inclusive protections while keeping existing religious freedom protections in place. And we call that framework our equality and fairness for all Americans framework. And so we introduced that uh, in October and have had uh, remarkable conversations with folks that are center life, that are center right, that understand that LGBTQ Americans do deserve the same protections as other Americans in employment and housing and public accommodations and credit and jury service. And one of the things that makes our framework different than the Equality Act framework that has been introduced since uh, 2015 is that um, we want to ensure that faith-based social services keep their federal funding, right? And so our belief is when we look at these ordinances such as MESA and the 330 LGBTQ um, inclusive ordinances around the United States, they all have religious freedom protections in them. When we look at the 20 state-based uh, LGBTQ inclusive policies in place, they all have religious freedom protections in, in them. And we believe that we can just bring that up to the federal level. We can protect LGBTQ Americans, make sure that we have that same opportunity of, of the pursuit of happiness and, and to provide for our families and our loved ones, um, and also can continue to protect religious freedoms. That the answer truly is and, that we have the opportunity to unite folks, and that we believe that this is the bipartisan solution that would, should be, we be successful, be the largest civil rights update since 1964. And we think that our great nation needs this right now, that we we need an opportunity to come together. And as Michael said, this is not a zero-sum game. For us to have the same protections as our non-LGBTQ counterparts, we don't need to take anything away from anyone. We just need to have the same opportunities. Oh, I love that. I love, I, you're right. I mean, it's not a zero-sum game. Um, giving you permission to live your life the way you feel is best doesn't cost me anything our family anything and so i think the fear out of that and the fact-based discussion that you two are leading is very helpful listeners i tried to get educated before we went live because i'm i'm not following all the legislation but there's and angela just mentioned this but um i just want to be clear um angela just talked about equality and fairness for all americans that is um hopes to be a national law. There are two national sort of potential laws that are being debated. You mentioned Equality Act. That's one that I'm aware of. And, and Fairness for All Americans, which is another one that I'm not sure we've mentioned yet. So those are two existing ones. And I think before we went live, you mentioned that Equality Act is perhaps left center and Fairness for All Americans perhaps is right center. I'm not sure I got that right. But I sense that um, this is more... Uh, even though there are probably listeners that like or don't like both of those existing ones, just give contrast to how this is different um, so that listeners that are aware of both of those that have sort of been debated, I think, in Congress are aware of this new one that you're bringing forth and your organizations into other states and to Arizona. It's being debated 
It has been in the last legislative session in Arizona, been debated. So it could be come the law near all of Arizona as well as potentially law in all of America. Give more just background and context. Um, so the Equality and Fairness for All Americans framework um, is actually a combination of both of these bills. And so okay. um, what happened is that, you know, we looked at um, uh, these two pieces of legislation that were moving forward in Congress and we saw lots of great things in both of them. And we said, you know what would be really great to do if we want to actually get a bipartisan bill um, introduced and through the finish line to become law. Um, let's take the great things in both of these bills and let's put them together. Let's make the bill even stronger and let's get to a point where we are protecting everyone through this bill, not choosing just one community to protect and so or one type of individual. And so we took about 40% of the Equality Act, 40% of the Fairness for All Act, and then we added 20% new. Um, and the 20% new includes a national ban on conversion therapy for minors. Um, and it brings down the employment protection number um, for any civil rights protections to kick in from 15 to zero, um, which is very important to us. And I'll let Angela speak more about uh, why that's so important. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, so so current federal legislation protects uh, American workers uh, based on all types of human characteristics and your religious beliefs if you work for a business organization that has 15 or more employees. But that leaves a whole host of Americans that do not have employment non-discrimination protections because America is built on small business, right? And so we want to make sure that every American worker has the same opportunity to have non-discrimination protections not just based on their sexual orientation or gender identity, but based on their religious belief or, or non-belief, based on all the other human characteristics, race, age, disability that are federally protected. We think it's important uh, really um, to bring uh, our great nation together to make sure that everyone that is participating in a sustainable economy has the same protections, right? Uh, and so we're very excited about the opportunities of equality and fairness for all Americans in this bipartisan framework. Um, it's not center left. It's not center right. We have this saying, we like to say courageous center. So we believe that this, this framework is all about the courageous center coming together, meeting in the things that we can agree with and moving our great nation forward uh, so that every American has the same protections. Exactly. And so this bill uh, will protect people of faith. This bill is pro-business and this bill protects LGBTQ people. And so for us, you know, in a lot of ways that that's doing a lot of amazing work and in one piece of incredible legislation. Um, and it's something that we hope really brings um, that piece that I was talking about earlier of we are this pluralistic society and we can work for great things together. And this bill is a framework for how to do that and a model for how to do that. It is. And to add to Michael's point about being pro-business, you know, we live in a global economy now and the attraction and retention of top talent uh, throughout our great nation is so important. We have a we have a talent shortage throughout Arizona and throughout America right now. So we want to make sure that we are creating a space in this nation where no matter who you are, who you love, or where you come from, we are bringing, bringing the best and brightest um, into the American workforce so that we are really truly creating this sustainable model to move our nation forward. So it's just a bunch of pluses. There's no minuses in any of this. Um, listeners, that's called Equality and Fairness for All Americans. And, and share where people can read about more about this. Oh, it's equalityandfairness.com. It's pretty simple. Love that. So I... I sometimes things see things, listeners, that are like a pebble that hits a lake and the the way whatever that's called the, the waves, um, ripples go out. And to me, what happened in Mesa is that. And um, it's brave people that have stepped forward from all walks of life that have said we're going sometimes it's harder to try to find um common ground versus just be bomb throwers on the on the to the other side. And you get heat from people that say, well, we want to be bomb throwers. We don't want to be sort of working like this and feel that's selling out either political party or the religion. But I think it's the doctrine of Christ, listeners, to do what you all doing. 
But then I love the scalability of what you're doing and the vision for both of you as you're working together and then trying to work within the state of Arizona to pass this. But then you didn't just stop there. Um, you're talking about a national um, law that I think a lot of Americans can get behind. And I do recognize, and I don't know all the nuance of how things work at um, the federal level, but I do have been aware of these two, um, the Equality Act and the Fairness for All Americans, but I've recognized that it seems like they stall um, in either side of the legislature. And so I hope that, um, I just hope that there's more legal things passed providing protection for people. Uh, tell, um, just this is a question I asked to, before we went on. You had great answers. There are probably LGBTQ people that have felt incredible pain from their faith institutions, from um, friends, from political parties. Um, there, and there, where there's pain, there's anger. Um, and anger can be directed at those very institutions. And um, you may have felt some of that. And some listeners may feel incredible pain and anger towards their faith communities, towards their families. And rightly so, because they've been really wounded. Um, and perhaps they do want to heal and move forward and recognize that they've got to figure out a way to do kind of what you two are doing. Do you want to give any personal advice or any insights? I'm sure you have lots of conversations. Um, like this with people, um, just if you've got any thoughts for those people walking that road, give us some ideas. I'd be happy to share a little bit of my story. Um, I was raised in an LDS family and I came out at 19 and my parents, this was a, a long time ago now. And so there, you know, the internet was brand new and there wasn't the widespread discussion of LGBTQ people. Um, I didn't even know that acronym until um, right before I came out, <laughs> that was something that was new in my world. And so, um, you know, my parents didn't understand and they were really afraid is what it came down to. Um, and they, they didn't, they couldn't see my life anymore. Right. When I came out as transgender, as queer, they, they didn't know what my adult life would look like or who I would become. And so their response, um, as members of the church and as relatively conservative people and people who had never been a part of the LGBTQ community, um, was to respond by saying, no, we can't accept that. That's dangerous. We don't understand this at all. And, you know, I was, I was a teenager. I got angry, of course. And my response was, you can't be a part of my life. And instead of staying in relationship with them, I left that relationship and they left our relationship. And so for almost 10 years, we didn't really talk to one another. We saw each other very sporadically, sort of at random family things like funerals and all of that kind of stuff. But in those sort of brief glimpses of time, my my parents and I, you know, sort of found ways to connect a tiny bit at, at those family functions or in those emergency situations and those sorts of things. And then we would leave again, but the thought always returned that we should try to connect again. And so um, we try, you know, we tried at different times and uh, I tried or they tried and we weren't ready yet. But eventually when I was about 29, um, my father uh, came here actually to Arizona from his, for his high school reunion. And I picked him up from the airport. He asked me if I would pick him up and I drove him to Coolidge and we talked a little bit, but not a lot. And then I picked him up uh, from Coolidge to take him back to the airport about a day before he had to go back. And he asked to spend the day with me. And I took him to work with me. I introduced him to some friends at dinner and, you know, he asked a lot of questions and I asked him questions and it was, it was okay. It was, we both had, you know, kind of our guard up still, um, but we were trying. And when he went home to St. Louis, I got an email um, a couple hours after he got home where he just said, and he started the email by saying, I want you to know that I love you. He was like, and I know I don't tell you that enough. My father only told me that once in my entire life. And that's when I took you to meet him when you were a baby. And he said, I am so sorry that I haven't been your ally. He said, I didn't understand and I'm working to understand. I was like, but what I see in you is that you are exactly the person that I wanted you to be. Wow. And I'm so proud of you. And yeah, I get a little emotional because my dad has passed. Um, 
that we found our way back to one another and to being a father and a son. And my mom and I found a way back to each other and to being a mom and a son. And she actually lives with me now. She has for 11 years. Um, but we were able to heal our relationship and the pain by loving each other and by believing that we could be a family and by being in a relationship with one another, by listening to each other, by asking questions, by not judging each other and by truly living by the commandments to love one another first. Um, and I, you know, my dad passed away a few months before this work began. And I really believe that, uh, I don't know, something divine out there has made that possible and that he's been looking out for me this whole time, um, as well as God and helping me on this path and helping me to find amazing people like Angela, um, who walk beside me and do this work with me and will always be in my life <laughs> and members of the church, um, doing this work with us. Um, it's been the most powerful experience of my life and it is all about keeping that love for other people front and center and trusting it to guide us and trusting God to guide us. That was awesome, Michael. Thank you. Angela? Michael, I just want to say your father is smiling at you right now. Your friend. Mm. (laughs) Uh, So I, you know, had a difficult journey coming out and and, uh, my mom kind of said to me, you know, if you tell my family, I'll never talk to you again. And that was 30 years ago and she's been true to her word and I'm sorry for her because I think she's missed out on I'm a pretty cool person and she's missed out on that experience. And I, and I, I wish her well. And, and, um, and I, I came to a place and, and my father struggled with it and, and, and his wife. Um, but to Michael's point, we, we, uh, and I'm an incredibly stubborn person too. So we certainly, we certainly have had some standoffs over the years. Um, but we keep coming back and we love one another. And I think that, uh, my relationship with my dad and and uh, and and Sandy, who they've been married for thirty years, and my sister Amy. So we are a blended family that has been blended for you know over three decades, is stronger and closer than it's ever been. And I am incredibly fortunate because, um, while well, I went through great trauma and was very broken, uh, I met an, a remarkable human being, uh, my wife who I've been on just an amazing journey with for 28 years. It's remarkable. So we've spent more than half of our lives together. I'm not telling you my age, but it's been quite a journey for the two of us. And I think that we are healthier, mentally healthier, um, and healthier as a family than we've ever been because no matter what the struggle was, we just never gave up. And and our love um, has found a way uh, through so many of the difficult things and those, the, those difficult journeys have made us who we are. And, um, I really like who we are. And so I'm grateful for all of the the work that we've done in the past that we've been on. And I think what I've, what I've learned along the way is people act out based on their experiences, um, and what they know, and we've all had different lived experiences. And so if we make this decision to not judge anyone and we understand really the world that through their eyes and their lived experiences, we can meet people where they're at. We can, we can not take things personally, but understand that whatever it is that someone is saying or doing is a reflection of their lived experiences. And it's not necessarily about us. It is about them and their fears and their insecurities and just not understanding. And so if I come into this space and I'm not judgmental, but I am here to listen and to understand and to ask questions and say, I may not have the answer, but I will walk alongside of you, then we can heal together. And so I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for this work that we're doing. Um, and I'm, I tell Michael, uh, so often that I, how how incredibly grateful I am to walk alongside him and for this really really beautiful collaborative journey and I know that we are all better because we're doing this work together and our teams are better and we're we're a family we we love one another um, and we're better every day because we do the best we can every day and the world gets better every day. Does. I just want to say I love you, I adore you, and you have taught me so much about being 
just a strong and loving person. And you and your wife are life goals for me, by the way. I, I just, after seeing your beautiful marriage, I don't think I could ever settle for anything that is not just as supportive and loving and kind. So um, I hope everybody someday gets to see this beautiful, amazing couple in action because they are incredible. Thank you for telling some of your personal story on behalf of our listeners. That um, I love both of those stories. There's so much hope and grace and reality and pain. I, I'm glad you're open with your mother, Angela, and I think that's okay for other people to hear that not everybody's going to be in a situation where every family member is going to support them and it's going to be the reality. And so you've found... You've found Sometimes you have to have boundaries too, where you just need to separate yourself from people that aren't going to be supportive or perhaps are even toxic to you. And, and that's um, an important principle in all of our lives and doesn't mean you're not a loving person and you're trying to honor the commandments. You need to separate yourself at times from somebody that's toxic and it may be a family member and it may be out of preserving your own health. Um, but um, I love the word trauma and pain, and and I love Angela. You talking about how your wife helped heal you, um, and that that's been part of your road to be able to now accomplish um, the things that you both are doing right now as supportive people in your lives. Whether it's your spouse, Angela, or the people in your life, Michael, that relationship with your father and your mother living with you. But um, our desert news quoted you, Angela. Um, you kind of mentioned this. This is back to the article by Tad Walsh we'll reference in the show notes. And um, Angela Huey said, quote, what keeps us in conflict is we don't understand one another. So we meet each other in places of safety and equality, and we're able to come together and learn about each other's history and culture. It brings us together and creates a common bond of human, of humanity. And then you go on to be quoted as listening and understanding our keys, which is what you said. So the platform of this podcast is Listen, Learn, and Love, which has been my own journey to understand LGBTQ people because I had to be willing to learn um, and maybe realize that I was wrong. <laughs> I like the song, There's a Line in Beauty and the Beast. Um, learning you were wrong is actually the phrase in there. I can't remember the word. And it's, it's an okay thing. Um, to, to learn you were wrong because then you realize that you can do a better job of lifting the burdens of others. But I realized I had to listen to LGBTQ people to sort of recognize the areas that I needed to prove in or the, perhaps the areas I was wrong with my assumptions. So I think that's part of the beautiful work you're both doing. Um, more thoughts. We've got, you know, 10 more minutes. Any more thoughts that come into your mind that you'd like to share with listeners? Well, I'd love if we could share a little bit about the federal work that we're doing over Please, the next couple of weeks. Awesome. Because um, that's so we, real time needed. So that's big focus yeah. of this podcast. So let's get that in. Go, Michael. Love it. So this is uh, definitely a bit of a call to action for anyone Good. who is so inclined. Um, but um, our amazing organizations and the coalition that we co-founded, um, Equality and uh, Fairness for All Americans Coalition, um, we are working to win federal policy by the end of June um, because we we know that you know Congress is going to switch to midterm elections uh, after June, and we want to make sure to get this done. Um, we know that it's possible uh, because we have been working with people across the country and organizations across the country to build bipartisan support. And we believe that with this framework of bringing the best of the Equality Act and the best of the Fairness for All Act together um, for, for a bill that both protects LGBTQ people comprehensively in employment, housing, and public accommodations, and protect, protects religious freedom and liberty, we will be able to do that. Um, and that will be a monumental thing, a historic thing, a historic update, generational update to the Civil Rights Act um, and to upholding the greatest freedoms of this country um, and the greatest ideals of this country. And so we are asking folks to get involved with that. And one of the most important ways is by going to our website and signing on. It, you can do that as an individual person, as a business owner. Um, you can do that as a person of faith, as organizations of faith. And you can say that you support this. And you can show that support by signing up on the website because it, it populates um, a public roll call, as it were, um, so that people from across the country and members of the Senate and Congress can see that 
Americans from every walk of life support this work. That's what they need to see, that this isn't about partisan politics. Um, this isn't about us versus them. This is about we, us together as Americans being audacious enough to create a more perfect union by creating laws that include all of us and protect all of us. Um, and so we're asking folks to do that um, as soon as you can. As soon as you hear this, please log on to the website, sign on and support in every way that you can. Share it with your friends and family, share it on social media, tell everybody about it, shout it from the rooftops <laughs> because we need people to be out there evangelizing in some ways, right? For this work and for these principles um, that move all of us forward as a society. Um, we're going to be doing a whole lot of work around that. Please follow our organizations, follow our coalition and join in that work with us. And we'll put that website in the show notes, listeners. Go ahead, Angela. Well, I just want to say, I echo everything Michael says. It literally takes one minute to sign the Equality and Fairness for All Americans pledge at equalityandfairness.com. But then as soon as you sign, you will receive an email with a link that will send a note to your elected officials letting them know that you support equality and fairness for all Americans. So we're asking for two minutes of your life uh, for the opportunity to engage in what is an incredibly important bipartisan dialogue to truly bring equality and fairness to all Americans, to protect LGBTQ Americans once and for all in this great nation, and also to give us a chance to heal as a nation, right? To meet together and, and come together to really uh, push forward the largest civil rights update since 1964. This is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. To Michael's point, tell your friends, tell your family, this is what we hope that you were talking about uh, around your kitchen uh, table and uh, you know during your family meals. Um, and we, we have a very limited window. So in order to pass federal protections, we think the window is June 24th of this year. And we think if we're not able to pass federal protections, by June 24th, that the next opportunity for federal protections is likely a decade away. We also have concerns about some upcoming Supreme Court cases, which could make it harder to pass um, federal protections, uh, in particular um, in public accommodations. And so this is uh, an urgent request. It is two minutes, um, and you can help us move our great nation forward. Um. Thank you. Um, June 30th, June 24th, listeners. Um, this podcast is coming out in mid-May, so that gives you, uh, all of us time to do that. But let's do it as soon. My experience is if I hear a podcast and I'll say I'll do that in a day or two, I'm less likely to do it. If I hear a podcast and could look in the show notes and see a clickable link and then go right to um, fair, equalityandfairness.org.com. Yeah, yeah. equalityandfairness.com and do the things that Angela and Michael just suggested. That for me is the way things happen. And I invite all our listeners to do this and to um, work to make a difference in this area. To me, for those that are LDS, this is, for me, it's part of my baptism covenants. To mourn, bear, and comfort, it's part of living um, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the second great commandment, which to me, um, I think their one equal co-commandment um, to love God with all our heart is to love our fellow men as ourselves. And I sometimes think we set up this false dichotomy in our minds that to fully love and follow God, we have to stop loving some of his children. But I just think we complicate the gospel when we think that way, with the exception of toxic people in our lives and having boundaries. And, and uh, there's great scriptures that talk about, you know, doing it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And so I've, I don't look at LGBTQ as the least. I look at them as some of my heroes um, and the things they've taught me about principles to bring us together, the same human family and compassion, empathy, and kindness. But um, they've been pushed on the mar to the margins um, of society. And so it's our job to help um, go out and bring people in that have a harder road and they need legal protection and they need allies to accomplish this. And that not only benefits um, our LGBTQ friends, but I think it's part of creating Zion or part of the body of Christ, where every part of the body of Christ is needed. So our businesses are better off, our religions are better off to have LGBTQ people as part 
of these organizations are families. It strengthens our families. It's back to, I thought, Zion was sameness. Um, it's Elder Cook talked about diversity and unity. It's unity. Um, so then we can go and accomplish good in the world um, that may not be possible without the differences that are part of just who we are in a good way to be able to then make a real difference. So um, those are just some thoughts. Um, any final thoughts from either of you? Um, I just wanted to share one final thing, and it goes back to the DC Temple tour. Um, we were in, Angela and I had the honor and privilege of being in a group with, um, led by Elder Gerard and Sister Eubank. And Sister Eubank shared something really important with us, and we've met her twice now, and we just adore her. She's incredible, um, such a welcoming and loving spirit. Um, she shared with us something that I think relates to why doing this work makes sense for the, LGB, LG, the LGBTQ community and the LDS community and why fellowship between our communities um, and amongst our community together is so natural in some ways and so important. She, she talked to us, we were at the changing room area and she said to us, you know, one of the most important principles of the temple is that in the temple, everyone is equal. And she talked to us about the white clothing and um, and how that is such a, that seeing everyone in the temple as equal is such a core part of being in the temple, experiencing the temple, and being an LDS person of faith. And that meant so much to all of us on the tour and spoke to our hearts as well, because you know, for, for Angela and I, that's our goal too is to create a world where everyone is equal, where we see each other as siblings, as brothers and sisters, as family, and we are working together for that full equality together so that our world is a better and richer place. Um, and that just really, you know, it meant everything to us, I think, and it spoke to our hearts. Um, and we feel that from the LDS community that we've been working with, it, that that love, that equal treatment, that, um, you know, Kendra Johnson, uh, another executive director in our coalition, um, she is actually on a video um, with uh, an LDS newsroom video talking about how her experience with the church has been so phenomenal because as a black lesbian, everyone meets her in the, in the eye, looks her in the eye and treats her with so much love and equality. Um, and I hope that everyone listening to this podcast can think about that and can bring that kind of love and equality to every interaction you have with everyone, especially the LGBTQ people, um, because, and I hope that, that our community does the same and uh, we are here to make that happen. Um, that was a great segment. And I think if we're wondering if hanging out with LGBTQ people is okay, I hope we've just heard multiple stories of senior leaders in our church hanging out, I, kind of a casual term, but I do recognize you're a transgender man, and we sometimes say pretty unkind things about our trans friends, and it's kind of fear-based narratives around, I don't even want to use some of the language you've heard to trigger you. But um, I love just the kindness Sister Eubank extended to you, and that you two have both been part of the Washington, D.C. and Mesa Temple dedications, and multiple church leaders over and over have just seen you for who you are. Um, and Elder Anderson talked, used the word transgender in general conference. Um, he used LGBTQ. That's appropriate vocabulary. Um, that we're learning to just normalize because I sort of think God normalized this in the first place by creating people this way. I don't think I think everybody sort of created as intended. Um, and that's part of the needed beautiful diversity that creates harmony in our work in our world when we work together. So there's a lot of sort of principles that have sort of indirectly been brought into this podcast because of your interaction with senior leaders of our church and how they're treating you. And the um, the example they're setting that we should treat you the same way and we should do um, what we can do in our circle of influence. And there's some listeners that wish our church did more. And I just, if you feel that way, that's okay. Um, I've sort of taken the feeling that I'm supportive of our church, our leaders, our doctrine, our teachings. And if, as we make improvement church-wise in this space, it'll come from our leaders and come from the impressions they feel from Heavenly Father. But what I can do is just be supportive of them, but also 
consider what I can do in my circle of influence to lift the burdens of others and connect with people like both of you that are working in the same space um, to lift the burdens of others. Um, there's a lot of people we've given shout outs to. If you're part of this LDS coalition or non-LDS that are listening and you're behind the scenes, we thank you too for your efforts. This is a multiple effort, not just, but um, if you want to hear more about the Phillips story, Monica and James, they've been on the podcast, they're episode 230. Um, the Braddocks are episode 233. You could hear more about their story. Um, we mentioned Major Mayor John Giles, Republican LDS mayor, who you know was one of the key architects of this. He was on Faith Matters episode 75. Julie and Jeremy Spilsbury. Julie is the councilwoman or council person. I don't know. I assume we call people, but she was on episode, they were on episode 77 of Faith Matters. Um, but the most important thing you can do, even though I've given you a lot of links, is go to equalityandfairness.com. So don't go to anything else I've told you to go to. Um, before you go to first, equalityandfairness.com. I'm on the page right now. There's a sign that says open and join us today. And just do that. It's um, and that's the that's the reason these two good people took time out of their very busy schedule to be on the podcast is connect you with their work, even though there's kind of a lot of sub stories going in as part of this podcast. Um, any final things you want to say? Just anything else, Michael or Angela? Uh, simply, we're just so grateful for the opportunity. And and uh, Richard, to your point. Um, our friends and in, in, in leaders in the LDS church haven't just seen us for who we are. They have loved us for who we are. And we are better because of our friendships. And, um, and we do hang out together. We like to have pizza and Greek salad together. Shout out. That's, there's a little code in there because sometimes you need a good Greek salad um, with friends uh, that you love. But we're absolutely just so grateful for this opportunity. So thank you. We are. I just want to echo that, Richard. Thank you so much for spending time with us today, uh, for caring about this work that we're doing, for caring for all of our communities. And to Monica and James, thanks for connecting us. Um, and just a, a big shout out of love and thanks and gratitude to our friends in the LDS Church. Um, I It has been such an incredible experience, the, the most incredible experience of my life working uh, with the LDS community and the LGBTQ community together. Um, I want to share that I have a testimony of what you shared, Richard, that we are all made in God's image. He makes us like who we are, just like we are on purpose. We're all here to serve that purpose. Um, and I have a testimony of this church and the fellowship of it. And I, I have so much gratitude for being able to do this work with both communities. It's the best thing. I think it's the purpose that what's why I'm here. So that's, I just have a lot of gratitude for that. Thank you. That's great. And I want a, a final shout out to my friend, Angela, who this work would not be the same without you, buddy. I just adore you and respect you with every fiber. All in, my friend. All in. I just, it's a, an honor and a privilege. Thank you. Well, listeners will sign off. This is Michael Soto, Angela Huey, H-U-G-H-E-Y. I don't know if I ever said your name and Richard Osler from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>